The Magic Hour with the Kamenetsky Brothers is brought to you by Game Time, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Andy, did you know that Lakers tickets tend the prices? They drop right before the game starts. And Game Time tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you... Andy and everyone else, all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. 60%? Up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans, Andy, have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. Well, the thing I love about it is just that the app is simple, it's quick, it's easy to navigate. Like To put this in perspective, our 70-something-year-old mother, who still refers to the app as the Twitter and looks up movies using a newspaper... She can actually use game time. Yeah, I just like that. That's how she gets. I like the the in-app panoramic views that you get. You're not an owl. You don't want to be turning your head 360. You can't do that. No, that's how you hurt your. Exactly. So head to the App Store or the Play Store now to download Game Time and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Hour with the Kamenetsky brothers, Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky. I'm Brian. I'm Andy. Um, and we are very excited to be moving our podcast over to The Athletic where for our debut show here on the Forum Club, which is the name of the channel, and The Magic Hour, which is the name of the show. Yeah, we've been actually sitting on this news for a while. Uh, we've been trying to tease it out very subtly on Twitter, at Cam Brothers. Uh, there have been a code of silence involved with this, but we are super Super excited. It's going to be a lot of fun for people who have been with us since the beginning uh, with the ESPN. And even when we were doing this as part of the LA Times, it's going to be a, like a lot of what you've heard before. We're going to be breaking down the Lakers on a regular basis, breaking down the NBA. Also, some movies and music, TV, pop right. culture. The, yeah, if you, if you heard the show before, it's it, you'll you'll recognize it. But we'll be able to, you know, we're going to add some new wrinkles to it. We'll also be uh, joining up with with uh, Bill Orem. Uh, for his podcast and, and getting together with the, with the other you know things that are Brett going Dawson. on the channel with Brett Dawson, Zach with, Harper, you know, everybody, a lot going on in LA. Andy, of course, is the the center of the basketball universe this year, so there's gonna be a ton of people coming through. Um, and so we'll have you know great interviews, great guests, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, we're including, this, I was gonna say, including today with our inaugural guest on our inaugural show for the Athletic Fleet. Yes. The great bass player for the uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, of course, a diehard Laker fan. Nobody is a bigger Laker fan than Flea. He's got a new book out, so we're going to talk Acid about that. It's called Acid for the Children, which, by the way, was our original title for this podcast. Right. But, but the Athletics said no, because when they found out about Flea's book, right. lawsuits, going that to get sued. Thing. Everything's going well for the company now, and you just don't want to get in the way of that. Um, you don't want to be the one that brought the company down because of a lawsuit from Flea. So Flea coming up. Uh, we'll get to that in a you know, half hour, 40 minutes or so, our, our conversation this week with Flea. Uh, but we're again, we're really excited to get this going this year and um, a, a lot of great stuff coming up here on the Forum Club and the Magic Hour with the Kamenetsky Brothers. But season starts Tuesday, yeah. which is tomorrow. Yes, it is. Um, good God, it's been a while coming. Like I, I, It's been... Like, you know, we've been doing this a while. 
And, you know, last year was exciting. Like, we were looking forward to last year and the year before that was, eh, but like, there have been some years where you're like, okay, season's starting and there's some interesting stuff going on, but we kind of know where this is going to end. Last year, it didn't, but like, this year, Andy, there are like legit title, once again, title expectations have returned to El Segundo and the Lakers, and I am here for it. But there's also, too, there's been such a buildup to the kickoff on Tuesday against the Clippers because this point that we're at right now with Anthony Davis and LeBron James has been building up since last season and really even right, the before trade, that. With the trade deadline. Right, and even right. before that when everybody knew that Anthony Davis was likely to ask out with the Pelican, from the Pelicans and he's been linked to the Lakers up until that point. So it, it feels like it's even been a more extended offseason than before. Like the, the actual offseason – feels like it's been blended in with the last season, which in a lot of ways... <laughs> no, this has been going on. This has really in, been going on you know, In a lot of ways, last season half, was both right. really filled with drama, but also kind of inconsequential like, and anticlimactic. But where we're about to embark on, on Tuesday, this feels massive. It feels climactic and <laughs> whatever, not whatever the other one was. You know, it's a, the, the thing about it is, too, it's like, you know, the, all these debates over the summer and people are ranking the... The pairings and which group is better than this one is is Paul George and, and Kawhi Leonard better? And we haven't seen that one really obviously yet. And yeah, you know, go through the rest of the league. And you know, my my feeling was, and a lot I think the feeling of most people was, you know, aside maybe from Harden and Westbrook, just on pure talent, the Lakers had the best two man pairing in the league with LeBron James, a healthy LeBron. Uh, particularly a motivated, healthy LeBron, which he clearly is right now. And then Anthony Davis, who, similar to what happened, I think, with Kawhi Leonard a couple years ago, you know, when Kawhi played only nine games with all the weirdness that was going on, like you, everybody kind of forgot how good he was. And then he reminded everybody last year. AD, it's a little bit different because he played 50-something games last year. He did he did all that stuff, and, and he, you know, he, he continued to go. But it wasn't a normal Anthony Davis season. People were much more interested in the the drama around him than the, than the what he was actually doing. And I feel like he lost a little bit of standing around the league. And it was easy to forget. Like we are talking about a twenty six year old guy who more than who twice has averaged like twenty eight, twelve, and two and a half blocks. He is easily one of the five best players in the in, in the NBA. And so is LeBron if he's angry and healthy. And like they have both of those guys. Like. The, the thing that stood out to me the most, Brian, since the preseason begun, seeing, you know, we've obviously seen Anthony Davis play for years, but really watching him more carefully, because now he's part of the team that we've been covering for right. years, is just how much, A, how easy Anthony Davis makes the game look in and of itself. Like, everything he does out on the court is effortless. I mean, like, whether you're talking about the way he goes about scoring, he manages to make rebounding Look effortless. He's, just, he's such a smooth athlete. He's a smooth he's athlete. So he's, smooth. You know, he's got these strides that he's you know he's basically like a gazelle. With well, watching handles. him, yeah, well, watching him close, like on the perimeter, is amazing. There, there was a sequence during the uh, one of the preseason games yeah, in China yeah. where you, <laughs> one of them doesn't, yeah, matter. Well, doesn't matter. No, but uh, where you saw Anthony Davis make this play where the ball was fed to him by LeBron at the top of the arc. And other than that one pass, which was a basic pass to Anthony Davis, LeBron did not touch the ball on this possession at all. And Anthony Davis drives, then stops on a dime, 
spins back, and it looks in the beginning like he's clear in space to put up like an 18-footer, which is absolutely an Anthony Davis shot. Go for it, yeah. Instead, he rifles this pass to a cutting Rajon Rondo, who ends up getting an easy basket at you know just right at the rim. And you're talking about in Rondo, a guy that is not known for his utility either off ball or right around the basket. And that was a sequence where other than you know Rondo connecting on that bunny, Anthony Davis did right. everything. And it's just he's he so he is. makes basketball look easy, but he also makes basketball easier for everybody else, he, including LeBron. The last game, the last preseason game he played, I think he had eight assists. I mean, we're well, we're going to ignore the fact that he was three of nine from the floor. We'll let that slide. But you know, he he's just he's stunningly good, and I think we forgot about that, especially now uh, because we spend a lot of time. It's of talking about like, is this the best teammate LeBron's ever had? Like, what about Kyrie? What about D Wade? You know, and all this kind of stuff. And we f- we forget LeBron James is light years better than anybody that Davis has ever played with. I mean, oh, yeah. the, I mean, the best teammate he had to this point is Drew Holiday. Yeah. He's a good player. Yeah, but he's, he's, not a, he's an all star caliber player. He is not LeBron James, and so you know, yeah, Anthony Davis is going to make life easier for LeBron. But think about how much better. Davis can be with somebody, and we've seen it, and that's the thing. So, like, you you start to see, you know, the idea was like these guys would fit together really well, and you know, nobody who watches basketball, follows basketball, was like, yeah, I don't see this. Like, I don't, you know, that was like D Wade and LeBron. It's like they're going to be really good together, but it's they're going to have to figure that out. Westbrook and Harden, two stunningly talented players. I don't think anybody knows how that's going to work. AD and LeBron was like, okay, yeah, that makes a lot well, of sense. Well, it's the lack of redundancy. Because, Completely. I mean, Le- LeBron, for all intents and purposes, is, I mean, he's whatever position you want. but He's he functionally is, the point guard. He's a point guard. I mean, like, you know, when, I believe it was Chris Haynes from Yahoo had that piece out that LeBron was going to be the starting point guard for the Lakers. Like, and, and I don't mean this disrespectfully to Chris Haynes because he's excellent at what he does. But it struck me as kind of a non-story, right? The, the, I mean, and, and the story call, was they meant literally would sure, be announced but, I mean, but, as but, it. But I mean, but to practically me, it's speaking, like, it look, you matter. could announce LeBron as the starting right fielder of this right. team, and it doesn't matter. Like he he has functioned as a point guard, correct, his entire career. So I mean, he there's that lack of redundancy between him and Anthony Davis, who is a classic, you know. Versatile, but classic. Right. Big. They don't get in each other's way no. offensively. They don't, and so it took about forty-seven seconds of them playing together in that first preseason the game. Go for everybody to go. Okay, well, this is going to work out beautifully. And you know, and the thing about it is, like we again, we know what we know what AD is. You know, we know what he is offensively. We know what he is defensively. It's it was the, it's really LeBron in a lot of ways. It was sort of the the X factor, like the wild card. Of, you know, is he going to be healthy? Is he going to be, you know, is he going to be, you know, moving as well? Is he going to be able to play deep? Like, just based on the preseason. And he's not going to do it every night. But the dude is angry. And you could tell over the offseason he was going to come back angry. And, like, this notion, it was a little like Kobe a few years ago. You know, perhaps a bad example because in the case of Kobe, it turned out to be he was a little more diminished than he ever wanted to admit. But it's like... He, you come back and LeBron was clearly ticked off at the idea that somehow he had fallen out of the elite of the NBA because he got hurt once. And granted, it was a big injury and it cost him a bunch of games. And, you know, he wasn't able to come back and activate playoff LeBron in the way they wanted and all that stuff. But it's like he didn't die. And like there are a lot of players around the league with sketchier health histories, including Anthony Davis, 
who were, you know, who get the benefit of the doubt that he wasn't, and he was clearly angry about it. And I think that's that's great for the Lakers, and we've seen what happens. He's been engaged on both sides of the ball, and again, not going to be 82 games of defense, but he's going to when he plays it, the Lakers have a chance to be really good because of it. But here's the thing, though. I mean, I understand where LeBron's coming from, feeling slighted, and that's great if it serves as a really good motivation. The truth is, though, LeBron spent all of last year visibly and very unprofessionally detached from the Lakers. I mean, it really began, he set a tone by signing a contract and then ghosting. And he was gone until media day. And I didn't necessarily have a problem with him not doing a press conference between, no. you know, he had just finished his eighth straight finals run, like what, whatever. But it did end up setting a tone for a detachment that he had for the entire season. I actually thought it was really interesting that in the GM poll that uh, they do over at NBA.com every year, LeBron went from first to third for the category of who do you think is the best leader in the NBA? And he went from winning it last year at 30% to third at 15%. And losing half of those percentage points, I actually felt was really telling and indicative of the way he went about really not leading his team last year. I, mean, I, I agree. And, and I, I, I don't know if the numbers in the GM poll, I mean, that's you're talking mathematically like two people, but I, I understand the, the wait, broad it's, it's, point you're making. It is I emblematic understand. of what right. happened last year. I understand, year. I mean, yeah. That regardless of how the numbers actually shake out or not, I thought it was really fitting because last year was the first time, certainly that I've really noticed in LeBron's career, that I thought he actually did a pretty bad job. As well, I, th- I just think it's one of those deals where... So the idea, of my point yeah. being, the idea that he is engaged is A, great for the Lakers, but B, what he really needs to be doing. Like at this point, with you know all the pressure that he had applied and Rich Paul and Clutch and bringing Anthony Davis to the Lakers, LeBron has skin in this game now. Yeah. Like I, there, there, there is something now that he really owes to this I organization. Think, I think it was it's very easy to go into the season and say, you know, we under, I understand this is a development year. I understand the guy's been to had been to Six straight finals? Eight. Eight. That's even that's two more. So you got you go to eight straight finals, and that's sort of just kind of built baked into the cake with you every year. Like the the expectation that I'm going to be playing for a title at the end of the year. And you can come in and you can say, I understand, like, you know, we have expectations, we're gonna make the playoffs, we're gonna turn this thing around, we think we can win around it. But like nobody nobody really thought they had a chance to win a title last year. It would have been shocking, I think, for to people if they won a title, even with LeBron there. Um but that said, it's much easier to say it than to actually do it. And I think once he got into the season, the 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 disconnect grew because it's like, okay, this, not only is this not, we're not going to win a title this year. I don't necessarily see, the, I don't I don't see where the path is with this group. And you know, the, I think that's why he was so very obviously trying to oh, that, get. I mean, that's fine, but right, it's unprofessional. I agree with you, but I mean, you know, if you're and so like you come turn around this year, and it's not just that. You know, it's the second year. It's whatever. It's like the the team with Davis is good enough to go win something. No and doubt. so I think that, no you know, I mean, and I think last year, had they been good enough, he probably, the engagement level would have been different. I, I completely agree with you, the point that he's making and, and what that means on a game to game basis through this season. Like, we'll never know, though, exactly what it would have looked like because, you know, they, he got hurt at the high point of the season, right when things were starting to go. It could have played out a little differently. He still probably would have thrown all of those dudes under the bus to get Anthony Davis at the deadline, even if they were third in the conference at the time. Yeah. But um, it, it will be, I agree with you, it'll play out better this year. Yeah, and, and the two of them look 
again, fantastic together. And you know, that's so important for this Lakers team, especially playing without Kyle Kuzma, at least for the opener. And we're not exactly sure when he's going to be coming be back. A, I think it's going to be a couple weeks. Well, I mean, look, if it's a couple weeks, then we've talked all heading into this season about the importance of the Lakers starting out strong because their schedule opens up it's real rel- soft, relatively soft. They need they need to get some wins on the board quickly. So the idea that Davis and LeBron already look like they've had a couple seasons together yeah. under their belt is really they're gonna important. Have, they, they're going to have to carry the carry this through. And I, I think th- there are a couple things that'll help with that. I actually wrote about this uh, at the Athletic this week. Was like when Boogie got hurt, a lot of people, myself, you, ever like like ah, they they lose a ton of diversity in their offense. It's like you know Boogie and Javale McGee, two very different players. You can deploy them differently. You can figure, and that gives Frank Vogel tons of options, which is great. Um, you replace Boogie with Dwight Howard, which is as good as you are going to do, I think, in that situation. I, I, I like the signing, and Dwight's played really well. But you're talking about two guys where, that that are not exactly the same player, but much closer stylistically. Well, I mean, it, it, beyond their similarities stylistically, the, the real similarities come out in the way that neither one of them can do the things, things that, that make Boogie, Boogie unique. Right. I mean, they like, neither, right, the but that's making, my point. You know, it's like they, they don't pass, they don't right. shoot from outside. The ability don't. to implement them, you know, Boogie at the high or right. low post. You can't run an run. offense through exactly. either one of those dudes. Exactly. And so their skill sets are are much more overlapping um, than Boogie and JaVale would have been. The upside to that, though, gets to the point that you were making, though, about LeBron and AD hitting the ground running, which we kind of expected, but you don't know until you see it. Vogel kind of talked about it this week. Because JaVale and Dwight kind of do the same thing, you don't have to. They don't change anything when one's on the floor or the other. You don't have to mess with different combinations. You can, you can play. It's like it's like the excuses that coaches in the in a, the NFL throw out about why they can't bring in Kaepernick. Exactly. You have to change. Too you have much. to just change too many things. It's like Tim Tebow. It's calling kind of like, like you, but like legitimately, you'd have to figure out. Okay, which guys? If we put Boogie on the floor, can he with AD and LeBron? Who? What guards? Where? Like there are there is more to figure out. Whereas with these two guys, you can just kind of go. Come playoff time, I think th- that lack of diversity, the lack of that extra weapon could hurt them. There's no question. First 15 games of the season to have one less thing to do to get going quickly to win those early games. And, you know, you start with the Clippers on Tuesday. You play Utah on Friday. But then you have a couple very winnable games with, I think it's Memphis and another lottery team. doesn't matter. Like that stuff, the little things there could make a difference and so in that sense the JaVale Howard tandem might at the very least it mitigates some of the the harm I think so and they both played really well they've both looked really good I mean you know we've both written about this actually at the athletic when uh Dwight was signed with the Lakers for all of his journeyman tendencies that he's taken on since you know leaving the Lakers but really since leaving the Rockets and he has bounced around the league one season one season one season one season with the exception of last year with the Wizards when he got hurt, you know, only played nine games, had spinal surgery, the issue wasn't production. No. Dwight actually he, played. He put up all-star-ish numbers with well. Charlotte. The yeah. problem is he just would annoy his way out of every locker room that he played and grade all of his teammates. Which and, is impressive in well, its own way. Oh, no, to, it's actually... To, get, he was, to, be, to be simultaneously the least popular player among fans... And his peers, yeah, which I'm pretty sure he is or was. I don't know about now. 
You got to give him credit. No, I mean, that's look, impressive. When, when you have a rare gift, it yeah, needs to be celebrated. I mean, is it a gift of polarization? Sure, but a gift's a gift. A gift's a gift. Uh, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. And I, if you stripped away and just gave the production of, of Dwight over the last three or four seasons, and, you know, PER, all these other things, whatever, and you say you get that guy at the minimum. And really not even the minimum. David Howard. Right, sure. <laughs> you don't know who it is. You, you, know, know, you just know Clint those Howard. Yeah. You know those <laughs> you numbers know, exist. And just like, just it's it's just a guy. You're like, oh, I get that guy for not even, a, it's not even like, Dwight's not even on a minimum. He's like on an hourly. <laughs> he's a temp. He's basically he actually like, until January seventh. He's a temp. He really is. He punches a time card at the yes. end of every week. Which like Palinka has to sign off on all. Of which, this. by the way, is absolutely the attitude Dwight needs to take. And I and I think Dwight, at least for the time being, recognizes that. I yeah, mean, it, right. it is easy to recognize and say all the right things early on, and we know this because with Atlanta and with he Charlotte, with DC, right. Houston. He entered all of those situations saying and doing all the right things, in part because the right things to say are incredibly obvious. Yes. <laughs> like, I mean, it's not it's not hard to figure out no, the right it's, things it's pretty, you're supposed to yeah, say. It's not that calm. But like, the, the things will help here. I mean, he literally, this is kind of last chance saloon. Like, if you, In the if NBA. Dwight, yeah, if Dwight shows up on a team like this with championship expectations where he's going to play. It's not like he's not, you know, he might not play 30 minutes a night, but he's going to play, like, a lot. And The so, Lakers only have three centers, one of which doesn't want to play center. Right. Really so, doesn't so, I mean, want to do it. Dwight is absolutely, I mean, he's, he's so replacing like, DeMarcus Cousins. DeMarcus Cousins, was, their hope was he would be at, you know, upside, like, fourth best player on this team. Yeah, I think he, I, mean, I, I, I had him slotted in higher by the end of the year. But like, so but but, the, the point being, Demarcus was slated to have right a, a role. Like he wasn't slated just to be a body. He, he's not uh, who's what's his name? Uh, you know, he's not Robert Sacre. No, he wasn't. You know, he wasn't doing that. So yeah, it, it's if you can't do it here, where you know it's a championship caliber team, you don't have to be a leader. You don't have to do this other stuff. You just got to go out. And by the way, the points are going to be easy to come by. The rebounds will be easy to come by. If you if you attitude your way out of this setup, then you're you're kind of done. And so I think and the big three will never take you. Right? The, no, he's not an attraction for. The well, he'll three. just be too unpopular. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. You're not an attraction. Like you need a little bit of that. And so we'll see. Plus, you, plus, I mean, let's be honest. You mess this up twice with the Lakers. Commissioner Ice Cube is no. not going to be bringing you into the big three. That's a good point. I if the Lakers are winning. And I'm assuming both JaVale and Dwight. Then there's some politics here. And, you know, if they're both playing well, Frank Vogel's going to have to balance a lot of this stuff out. And look, I mean, I think, honestly, the guy who is, would be much saltier about right now about his starting job taken away is JaVale. I mean, sure. JaVale very, like, it is, and I get it. It is deeply meaningful for him well, to he, work look, his way. He's, he's, he's been on the same path of career resuscitation. Not as extreme. Different but kind. Cons- different but conceptually, kind. though, the same idea of trying... He, JaVale has been trying over the last couple of years to convince people, no, I'm serious. I'm not the same right. guy who made cinnamon eating videos with Nick Young like nine years ago. I'm serious about the game. I love Nick Young. Nothing good comes out of it. <laughs> if, no. you're a, if you're a, another NBA player, being friends with Nick Young is not necessarily constructive. It didn't help D'Angelo Russell. It did not help D'Angelo Russell. I don't think it helped uh Jordan JaVale. Clarkson. Hasn't helped Jordan Clarkson. Like when when JaVale and Nick both and, and look, we covered Nick. We like Nick. Great, He's guy. A great guy. But when JaVale and Nick and we like JaVale to the degree that we know him. But when they both got moved 
I'd say within a season of each other, uh, out of the out of the out of the wizards, it reminded me of you know how in third grade there's always those two kids who have they can't, to be separated they cannot in class. Be put, right, they can't that be was put next Nick to Young and JaVale McGee. Like yeah. they could not be in the same class. And so like you know JaVale goes to to he's almost out of the league. Ends up in training camp. Iggy brought I'm going to drag you dollar basically yeah, vouched for him from the time together in Denver. Got him into there and shocked the hell out of Steve Kurtz. We'll talk about it. So shocked the hell out of him, but both in the sense of, wow, we didn't expect that from JaVale McGee. And wow, why is this guy almost out of the league? And so, you know, he, you know, he won, you know, was on those championship teams in Golden State and rehabbed it there. Came here as a starter last year and continued to re so and re signed with the expectation of starting. So you know, he, his drive is to be taken seriously. Dwight's drive is to be taken seriously. But the politics of it are such that. Allowing letting Dwight start now politically is just it's a bat, it's the wrong move. And JaVale, I think, you know, I asked both of those guys last week when I, you know, was was writing this stuff, kind of just trying to find like where do you guys see the differences? And JaVale made a really clear, like, I don't know if there's anything that he does better than me or whatever it is, and trying to, but I know I don't need to get the ball dumped to me in the post, like, I'm going to be able to get like. He didn't say Dwight needs all this stuff and I don't, but he made it very clear, like, I'm going to get you 10, 12, 14 points a game by whatever it is, rebounding, lobs, roll hard to the basket and all that kind of stuff. And so it, it, it matters to him. And I get it. And as long as they don't tear the thing down from inside, I can't – I mean, if the Lakers are winning, the two guys in the supporting roles playing the center position – Aren't gonna, if they tear it down, that is a it's a it's a sign of failure of leadership of LeBron and Anthony Davis as much as it is those guys. Anything have you concerned he- heading into the season I, based uh, off what I we've don't seen know. I don't know what they're. I still don't know what the guard thing looks like. Like Avery Bradley played much better than I expected, and after talking to the guy for a few times, I really want him to. Do, I want to be really wrong. I didn't think this was gonna be a good signing. He's the only guard who looked good in the preseason. Rondo was barely played. He was fine. He was very Rondo. And Caruso was sort of disappointing to me. And KCP was uh, invisible. And Quinn Cook only played one game. He looked good in that he one game. Good. He looked, but he did it. But like you don't know what that size. is, right? And um, you know, and, you know, Troy Daniels. I mean, I, I don't know. I, don't, I was nobody was counting on him. But you know, and so I, I, I don't, I don't know how that shakes out. The good news is. LeBron's the point guard, like we talked about, but it still matters, like how they shake out that rotation. Yeah, I mean, the one guy that you know exactly what you have from him in terms of what you need from him is Danny Green. And Danny Green. I almost don't even count him. Yeah, I mean, Danny Green is going to be functionally their starting small forward on offense and then either their starting one or two on defense, right. depending on. Which who is they why when you guard. ask the question about when I, when I lump the guards together, I think of him as a three, not a two. You know, I mean, that's actually. Although he'll play the two when Kuzma eventually gets back. You know, he'll it's play funny, a lot actually. Too. In things that have somewhat concerned me about this team, Brian, it's actually, in terms of composition, they don't really have a small forward. Like in terms of a guy that functionally serves as a small forward on both sides of the ball. Or like when, that, that you know will be playing. A if you wrote down their positions, well, Kuzma. Kuzma's the only guy that I would write down. No. No, he's going to be playing much, off the bench as a four. Right, but he was, and he's always been better as a four than a three. Well, yeah, I mean, at right. least, I mean, defensively, he's been better guarding wings at times, so we'll see where that goes. And like, you know, Jared Dudley is more of a. He's a. 
three. More, three, four. But he's so slow now. He's slow, but that's my point. Is Jared, Jared Dudley is kind of an undersized four at this point. I like Jared Dudley because Jared Dudley, like you see guys around the locker room who remind you of like you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> he's at 44, kind of like he's very bald. dad. He's got a lot of dad bod there. Yeah. Like, I feel like I could go to the beach with Jared Dudley mm-hmm. and not look ridiculous. Like I go to the beach with well, Dwight, you got, if you guys go, I'd look the, short. I was going to say, you guys look like you're doing twins, right? right? No, but but like, but you like, know, if somehow DeVito you could, movie. if somehow you could do like the 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 Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson scale thing, where I like <laughs> the force perspective with some force perspective, where I look like I'm the same height as Jared Dudley. I like you wouldn't go like who's who's Just say it. You right. think Jared Dudley has some moves? I would, I mean, I wouldn't even say moves, but he's not cut. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like a normal person. He looks like a guy who's like, you know, playing on a minimum deal, doesn't, you know, not expecting to play in the league for 10 more years. No. Who understands that, you know, if he needs to play 35 minutes a night for two months, things have he's gone horribly wrong. But he's ready He'll to He'll do it. But things have gone wrong. Right. And so, you know, there's a certain level of But you know, what I'm, you know what I'm saying, though? Like I feel better no... about his... I feel that... By the way, I feel the same way about Jared Goff looking at him. <laughs> and it's much more concerning than it is Jared Dunn. But the, the Lakers... Of my it's, Jarens. It, it's interesting, though. They really don't have, like, just a straight-ahead small forward on this team. Like, that's my guy. Yeah. Small forward. No, but, I mean, and you know, in terms of the roster composition, it's just sort of interesting. Well, yeah, and, and in they're the way, real thin on the right, road. Right, and the way things get deployed. I mean, like, you know, off the bench, I think... On our most on the most regular basis, KCP is going to be kind of an undersized uh, small forward off the bench. Well, which, yeah, he could. Look, it's an upgrade from last year where he was often an undersized four off the bench, well, which the, was ridiculous. The, the, the biggest thing is it's an upgrade from when he was an often an undersized scorer off the bench. <laughs> like, that's what we don't want. But I, you look at this and they're they're, they're short it's just on something the wing. To they're keep short an eye on everybody. In terms of what they, does with Frank Vogel's rotation? They're short on the wing, and you know, but but again, this. To go back, you know, kind of wrap it up. Like, there's this is why it matters that LeBron plays defense. Like, because you can you can put a credible team on the floor with or without, you know, when Kuzma's back with AD at the five, finishing games small, whatever it is, if LeBron plays defense, because you can slide Danny Green, can guard twos, you can put Caruso out there, or even KCP to guard point guards. Uh, like it, the positionality of those those two backcourt positions are kind of irrelevant. You just need guys who can stand outside and hit a shot when you need them to. And Bradley has done it extremely well so far. I don't trust KCP necessarily. It could be Quinn Cook, Caruso. The one thing he's done in the preseason is shoot the three ball yeah. pretty well. Everything else has been bad. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, if you put Jordan Daniels out there, he can do. He'll that. do it. He's yeah. proven that. And so, like, doesn't matter if. Quinn Cook or Troy Daniels, who have, you know, and Danny Green doesn't. Are, right, you know, he doesn't. He's not an assist guy, but it, you don't need that because your four or your your small forward or whatever LeBron happens to be lining up at at the time is going to average twelve assists a year this year. I genuinely and, think LeBron could, and Anthony Davis is going to average gonna five. Say, I was going to say Anthony Davis, who was starting to really. Developed career high last that, year. Yeah, he averaged almost four assists last year, and really Brian was starting to take that next step as like a like a true playmaker, like not just like a guy that if you fed him in the post and a double comes, like he can look around quickly, make a pass. No, on like post. you like a legitimate. No, he's becoming like a face up drive, make plays off the dribble type player, which is extraordinary at that size. And you're watching him now, just going like, damn. Yeah, and so like that that 
last you know sort of dress rehearsal game where LeBron had I think it was you know ten or eleven assists, AD had eight. It's just like in that. I mean, granted, they were just really. Every every offense looks great when you're shooting like ninety percent from three point range, and Cook hit five of seven, I think, and Bradley hit five of seven. But you're just like, oh my god, like that's what this could look like. And basketball in this city, in the, well, with this franchise, not the city, the franchise has been so bad for like six years. Even in a preseason, like one half of a preseason game of that, and you're like, you get the vapors. <laughs> you're just really excited for it. Um, so yeah, I, they'll have to work the guard thing out, and it. It'll change once Kuzma comes back anyway. As long as two of those four guys emerge as decent players, semi-reliable, and Kuzma plays well, they're fine. It's so important. They need Kuzma to play well. They need this center combination to give them something because, and Danny Green to play well because the the, 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 the high end of this team, I think, will be dictated between by – how they fill in behind LeBron and AD as a one-two better than any combination in the league, which we I, I think we both agree on, and a spotty-ish rotation. And you know, I'm not on board with the Kyle Kuzma's clearly you know the star to be like he wasn't that good last year. He was wasn't bad, but he wasn't clear All Star to be kind of. Like, he showed he had, flashes of it. There yes. was times where he looked like a he looked like the guy that the Lakers critically now need him to be, especially with Boogie no longer right. an option. Is cra- you can make shoot an well, argument, you can make well, an argument that Kyle well. Kuzma is actually the most critical piece for this team in terms of them really hitting yeah. the ceiling. I think that I think that's fair. I think you could look at Green. I think you look at them, but like that Dwight Javale thing, Danny Green, Kyle Kuzma. How good are those guys? And I'll tell you how good the season's going to be. All right. Well, the season is just about to begin. We are incredibly excited. To, really excited to bring this podcast to you. The Magic Hour. It's going to be every Monday. Um, and then other days sprinkled in, yep. but Mondays for sure. And a sprinkle. A sprinkle. Of magic hours yes. throughout the week, sometimes. But also excited now to bring you our conversation with Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, diehard Laker fan, diehard LA sports fan. His book is coming out November 5th, Acid for the Children. And this is the conversation we had. I'm very excited to have Flea on board as the official Andy first guest of the Magic Hour. Uh, of course, you guys, everyone knows him as the longtime bass player for the Red Hot Chili Peppers, a massive Lakers fan, massive L.A. sports fan in general. Uh, he's also about to become a published author. His new memoir, Acid for the Children's, uh, Acid for the Children, hits shelves on November 5th. You can get on Amazon and where people get books. Flea, how are you, man? Um, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. My voice is a little scratchy. But I'm breathing. I'm not in the hospital. I'm not in jail. I'm getting married on Sunday, and today's my birthday. Well, it, it it is very fortunate, by the way, for the wedding that you're not in jail. That just that's just one more layer of complication. Relationships are hard enough as it is. <laughs> it is good. My dad just made me bacon and eggs. I had a fine <laughs> cup of coffee. Okay, and, everything's and everything's and coming up. All of that stuff. All of these personal things going on with me. We are on the cusp of imaginal uh, the eve, the cusp of a magical Laker season. And this and, is the thing that is a, a purple and gold umbrella. Everything else is just taking place under that umbrella. And that's actually where we were going to begin. You, you tweeted the following last March, and I, and I quote, okay. Dear at Lakers, why do you do this to me? Do you realize there are fans out there that really care? This is seven years of this shit. Are you just going to get more one more one year contracts in pursuit of a star? I don't give a shit about a star. Build a team that loves 
and plays together, end quote. A lot has happened uh, since you sent that uh, tweet, Flea. Do you feel that the front office has created a roster more in line with your wishes? Um, well, first of all, did I tweet that? Yes, you did. <laughs> I said all those bad words. Jeez, yes, I've got to really uh, buck up with my vocabulary. Um, <laughs> but, you know, at the time, clearly I was very frustrated. And one of my, my main sources of frustration, look, Look, the losing is frustrating no matter what. And six years of no playoffs and breaking every franchise record of like bottom seller dwelling, losing records one after the next. But it was just so frustrating to me that all these play every year, it's like they're waiting. Well, next year we're going to get the big start. And they load up the roster with these one year contracts, like maddening. You know, because everyone knows they're not going to be there. The guys don't believe in each other. They're not playing together. And, you know, as for a fan who loves the beauty of a team playing together, believing in each other, communicating telepathically in that magical basketball way, it's just not happening. So I was kind of losing my marbles there. However, <laughs> um, to get more to your question, to the point is I am, I feel really good about this roster. And to tell you the truth, I'm not even sure how many sh really short contracts that we have. I mean, I know Dwight is like on a 20 minute contract. Um, but besides that, every, I mean, how long do we have Danny green for? How long is his contract? Two years. Two years. Two years. How about Jared Dudley? He's one, he's one, but he's also close to the end of his career anyway. Yeah. Yeah. He's at the end of his career. But the, the, the bottom line is like, look, it hurt my heart to see the Brandon Ingram and Lonzo ball, and Josh Hart go. Um, but, uh, uh, oh, wait, hold on one second, you guys. I got to say goodbye to my fiance. Um, you open up the garage. Yes, by your hand. Sorry, you guys. Let's get the car out of the garage. Um, but, you know, with what we're looking at right now, what, what, what was I just saying before I got distracted? Uh, that you missed uh, your heart hurt for Lonzo and B.I. and Josh Hart. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So those guys going, I mean, I, but it's a trade that you have to make. And Anthony Davis, come on. This guy is interstellar, transcendent, top of the heat, number one grand champion, winner, basketball player. And, and he's, what, what, what is he, 27? 26? 20, not even. He's 20, still 26. Yeah, 26 years old. I mean, he's in his prime. That's about the age where big guys come into their prime. And, you know, he can do it all. Every aspect of his game is great, except winning championships. And, you know, coupled with LeBron. And I, I feel like, you know, he, well, I mean, so obviously, you know, I, I could rattle on about Anthony Davis. But if we get a healthy LeBron that can steadily, you know, play through the season and not get hurt. Because after that injury last year, I just, I you know, I kind of got worried that we got old LeBron. Um, but uh, man, the combination of those guys with, 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 uh, you know, I mean, I'm saying the same thing everyone else is saying, but like his leadership and wisdom and his, his uh, veteran, you know, experience combined with Anthony Davis coming into his prime, and we have a good cast around him. You know, if anything, the only questionable position that we have is point guard. Um, but it's a great looking roster. You know, if Kuz can step up and play some defense too, and Danny Green like continues his, uh, his stellar steady play that he's, 
you know, done all his career. We're looking good. We're looking really good. We can win the championship. The Lakers can win the championship this year. All this suffering will be not for naught. So you can send a follow-up tweet at this point that just says, we're cool. Like, at Lakers, we're cool. Yeah, oh, we, yeah, yeah, we're so. cool. <laughs> yeah. I think I sent, I sent another angry tweet at one point or an Instagram or something at one point. You know, yeah. I, you know, I, think that, I, I do think that we're good right now, especially because we have Anthony Davis. I mean, even though he is only for one year, right? His contract's up in a year. The, the, the expectation, though, is that they'll be able to sign him and keep do, him around. Do you allow yourself to start envisioning him having like a 10, 12 year career in purple and gold? Or are you one of those people that doesn't get ahead of yourself? No, I'm envisioning him in for uh, the rest of his career in the Lakers. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm thinking about. I mean, I mean, isn't that what everyone's thinking about? Well, there are a bunch of negative Nancys out there complaining and whining. Well, you know what it is, I, I, and this leads to a question we were going to get to anyway. I mean, on the heels of what happened with Dwight, right? These, it, this is the last time they tried this, and it's not an apples to apples comparison. Like contextually, it was a lot different, but you know. You may have heard the Dwight stint with the Lakers didn't end well. Um, so I think that's that's <laughs> yeah, where that was, fear may come from. <clears throat> yeah, well, I mean, nobody's stint with Dwight ended well. Um, you know, his, his best years were with Orlando, and then he didn't do well anywhere, right? Maybe he had one year with Houston that was okay. Was that the year when they lost? Did they have to, Houston have Dwight when they lost to the when they beat the Clippers when the Clippers did the all time choke? Like four years ago, was that a Dwight? Team? He might have been on that team. I forget. I mean, like, like he spent a couple of years in Houston, and then he went to uh, Atlanta, Atlanta Charlotte. for a year, Charlotte for a yeah. year, Washington for a year. Yeah, I mean that guy has really had a lot of struggles and troubles, um, and it, so I, I I can't compare those those two things at all. I mean Anthony Davis has been a standout professional stellar player who's you know better than everybody and humble about it his whole career he's never you know he's just great guy but i mean by all accounts everything i know the guy is just like steady as she blows and you know plays at the top so of you're, his ability you're not you're not waiting to buy the jersey you're you're out there you're getting the gear you you you've painted you know the anthony davis shrine room in the flea castle you've done all this already oh yeah yeah no i'm i'm counting i already got a tattoo of him <laughs> it's a portrait on my back. There you go. Well, that's a commitment yeah. right there. You got to feel good about it if you're getting the back tat. Yeah. No, I, I feel I, 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 I don't think you can compare um, the Dwight Howard acquisition to the Anthony Davis acquisition at all. I mean, getting Anthony Davis is really like you know, like getting Kareem or getting Wilt or the the trade of the pick that got Kobe. I mean, this guy's that good. And um, it's we're really sitting pretty with him. And I, and I, you know, the thing that was really frustrating, I mean, last year when Magic Johnson left the team abruptly, um, I didn't fault him for wanting to leave, for getting into a job and realizing he didn't like it and it was too much for him and he couldn't deal with all the politics and, and you know, the weird relationships in the organization. Um, but I was, you know, just, you know, you sometimes you get a job, you don't like it, you leave, it happens. You know, but I did fault him for um, publicly airing the dirty laundry of, of, you know, and dragging the franchise through the mud on his way out and not setting up uh, someone to replace him or leaving it in any kind of stable situation. At that point, I was very concerned 
for the Lakers organization and wondering if Jeannie Buss was completely losing her marbles, putting this guy Palinka in charge of everything, you know? And, um, but they, they've done really well since he left, you know, I mean, kind of outside of not getting Kawhi, which would have been like, you know, instant championship, just mail it in. Um, they've done everything right. It seems, you know, especially considering that they got strung out with, by Kawhi for, you know, those, those long weeks. Um, and, and a lot of free agents were just getting snapped up. They still did great. I mean, they really put together a smart roster, way better than what Magic and Rob did with, with uh, plenty of time getting a great superstar to build around. You know, that roster was, was, you know, just didn't, we didn't have, it was completely imbalanced. Yeah. How excited are you to have this, uh, this like, like for the first time ever, this is a real Lakers versus Clippers actually means something. The Clippers can win a title. The Lakers can win a title. How excited are you for that? Yeah. Just like LA basketball scene this year. Well, I'm thrilled for the Lakers. You know, I, I just like being the type of Lakers fan that I am, which is, you know, I'm like a two year old with this stuff. It's just, you know, it's nonstop. It's been consistent for since 1972 when I moved to LA at the age of 11. I've been completely absorbed in everything that the Lakers have done. So, so for for me, after this, like the worst patch in Laker history to have this really beautiful roster of, of guys that are not just great players, but like for the most part, really like smart, savvy, sensible human beings, um, you know, with, with a couple of exceptions. Um, it, it just is great. But for the Clippers, like all through the 80s, I hated hated them like with that violent vehement deadly passion then in the 90s man or come the late 90s i remember like the thing with the sacramento kings i hated the sacramento kings but over the last you know there's been a few like hates but over the last you know six seven years the team that i hated the most besides the houston rockets or even more than the houston rockets is the los angeles clippers <laughs> every time you know i hate the clippers and not only do I hate them like I hate the way that I hated the Celtics as an enemy in the 80s, they're right in our backyard. They're right there. Oh, and they're arrogant. And they're old Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, Lava Dunk. Ugh, I'm so glad they never won. But, you know, so, so the rivalry for me is very intense in this opening day game. Um, two days after I get married, I might, you know, if we lose, I might, like, run off and go hide in a cave in Himalaya my life yeah don't do that is, <laughs> is is there going to be like a like a honeymoon after the wedding or are you going to be there for opening day um well no we're just taking a couple of days to to hide after the wedding but um we can't really honeymoon for a while because of some work considerations um till the coming year however um I will be watching every game. I can't be there for opening day, which is not a Lakers home game. It's a Clippers game, but uh, uh, I think the 25th, uh, I'll be there. Does she, Excellent. Does she understand that uh, work things is code for we can't honeymoon until after the season's over? Well, I did suggest a vacation <laughs> uh, honeymoon where we stay. We, we post up at the, that uh, Rich Carlton or Four Seasons, whatever it is, across from the Staples Center. But I got shot down. We'll sit up there, just like order room service to go across the street for the Lakers games. 
um, that didn't fly. Can't believe she saw through that flea. I mean, it's it's quite a pitch. Very yeah. subtle. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that didn't work out. But luckily, my fiance loves the Lakers as well. Actually, used to work for the Lakers. Really? So, it's great. Yeah. It, oh, so now you are like now you're going to be well connected. The flea influence over the organization <laughs> is going to be significant now. Well, considering she was like a bottom of the rung intern like ten or twelve years ago. Or 15 years ago, I don't know how much of her influence is there, but but, but that's um, cool. Yeah. That's actually really cool, though, that you're with somebody who can share that love of the team, who actually knows the team, is you know, like is aware of the comings and goings, and like you guys can actually root from an informed place together and score free swag. It is the key to a happy relationship, because you know there have been a few relations in my relationships in my life. They like the rock star flea, but once they realize that this basketball thing is no passing fancy, that we have to watch every game, 82 games, including and then playoffs every year, um, you know, it can be a little test. <laughs> so uh, the book, Acid for the Children, how did you land on that yeah. title? Um, well, actually, you know, I did take my share of hallucinogenics as a kid, but it was uh, some, some friends of mine had a band called uh, the Two Free Stooges in the 80s, and they had a song called Acid for the Children. And it was just, you know, kind of a whimsical thing. Um, but also, you know, I do have a um, belief in the profound uh, benefits of uh, hallucinogenic drugs. I think that they can be really helpful for people in uh, many ways. And um, so it just, you know, I don't know. My, my book is really about my childhood. It ends the day that Chili Peppers start. It's really not a rock star book or um, anything to do with that at all. You know, by design, I just wanted to write about my childhood and kind of, uh, you know, my best earnest attempt at, you know, a poetic interpretation of, of my childhood. And, and uh, I, I had a pretty wild childhood. Um, I, you know, my life got turned upside down at a young age and I was basically a street kid. Um, running around pretty wild and unwatched as a kid um, with you know, certain things that, that really kind of kept me together, things that I loved, like uh, music and literature and basketball. And, um, and, and just kind of like out in the street, you know, a wild kid getting in a lot of trouble and trying to make sense of it and trying to find my moral compass and trying to um, learn, uh, you know, how to be a loving, kind, strong person in the world. And um, that's what the book's about, essentially, um, through a, a series of stories kind of woven together into this tapestry that forms a narrative. And um, I wrote it by myself and, you know, spent a lot of time uh, hard into, into writing this thing. And um, it means a lot to me. You know, it's a real honest book. It's also terrifying to make myself that vulnerable in, in this context is, you know, obviously I've been, you know, uh, somewhat of a public figure for a long time and, and, you know, done lots of press through my life and, and put myself out there, but writing a book, especially an honest and vulnerable book, um, man, it's, it's intense. One of the one of the things I think is is interesting too, just in in reading about you and and you know things you've talked about, you know, it is it was a difficult relationship with your stepfather, but at the same time, if I yeah. my understanding is too that he was also somebody who 
uh, you know, he was a he was a musician. He int- you know kind of introduced you to music, to jazz, to all these other things, and obviously that has become such a, a, a defining part of your life. When you think back on that part of your life and 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 the the kind of the give and take there, what is that like for you? You know, to to have the positive with all of those difficulties at the same time. Yeah, well, you know, it's kind of a microcosm for the macrocosm that is everything, you know, it's like there is, I don't think there really is growth without pain. And if, if you're willing to really like feel your pain and look at it without running away from it or numbing yourself with drugs and alcohol or, or doing something, doing, you know, like actually living an honest, conscious life, things that are really painful and difficult, those feelings of, you know, being betrayed or hurt or, you know, the, the loneliness or anxiety of being a human being. Um, it like those things looked at like in, in a conscious light are the fuel for the greatest growth and the greatest accomplishments that you could ever have. And you know, those, that extends to any kind of growth, like professional growth as a, you know, if you're an academic or an athlete or an artist of any kind, um, those are the things that, that drive us to be great. You know, those are the things that, that give us compassion and, and make us care enough to really want to, to do something with our lives and to use our, our time here on this earth um, as productively as possible. So, so, so um, I know I'm going off kind of on a tangent, but, but this still with my stepdad, um, you know, at a young age, <clears throat> my mom married this guy. He was a jazz musician. And before that, we were with my real dad, who was, you know, worked for the Australian government and wore a suit, had a briefcase, and went to work every day, you know, and came back home on the subway in New York. And we had dinner every night at seven. And then my mom, you know, left him and married a junkie jazz musician who lived in his parents' basement. And, um, you know, my father went back to Australia and we moved into this guy's parents' basement. And that's when things got really wild and crazy and, and, um, uh, you know, things really, uh, <laughs> could have gone any number of really difficult ways. And, you know, he was crazy and a drug addict and, um, subject prone to fits of violence and really crazy stuff. But along with all that, he was a phenomenal, transcendently good jazz musician and played music in the house all the time with all his friends, um, all these jazz guys in New York. Um, and at, at the time of a burgeoning, really vibrant, like, you know, intellectually, spiritually, physically, very evolved, um, state of, of, of art. And I saw this stuff as a kid and it just blew my mind. And in a way I kind of, at that time, without really realizing it, I was a little kid. I learned about those things. I learned about what it was to take pain and turn it into art. And how that stuff was really like, you know, the, um, could be a motor for, for really, you know, learning and, and it was energy, you know, so, so kind of to what you, to your question about, you know, the duality of someone who was an influencing and, you know, a big figure in my life being a really scary person, but a really inspiring person. Um, that's my answer. How, how do you think it influenced you that you came to jazz first, um, as opposed to, you know, rock first or folk or, 
you know, punk, 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 you know punk, whatever it is. I mean, all of these things that you eventually kind of moved into, but that you were a jazz yeah. musician first. What, what was the, how did that shape you? Um, it was, you know, it's funny. Cause like when I was a kid, I didn't really differentiate. It was just music. You know, mm-hmm. I, 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 even though I was hearing all this like really sophisticated and spirited jazz, I, I didn't, then I'd like hear the Beatles and I love the Beatles, you know? And I, I just, it was all just different colors of the same rainbow, you know, it was just all music. But in, uh, but now as an adult in retrospect, it was super healthy because I was hearing this music that it wasn't attached to any idea of business or money or image or, um, even like all the pop, pop culture references that we have that can be almost like kind of segregated with music, like this music for black people, this music for white people, this music for rich people, this music for street people. You know what I mean? It, it was just music. And that jazz has so much in it and so much information that it, I was, and as well as like, you know, hearing all this great stuff and it opening up all these doors for me, it, it, um, I, it just kind of gave me a reference point that was wide open to everything. And, and when I look back at it, I was, it was when I did started playing music, I never had like the desire to, it was never based on, um, I want to do this to make money or to be famous or to fit into this demographic or, you know, to be a part of any kind of, um, specific culture that could be somehow, uh, you know, driven by, by like connecting to something for desires of power or fame or any of those things. So even though I did learn about those things and become corrupted by those things later, it was my relationship to music was really pure. And I think because of, uh, and, and things that weren't pure, I guess I kind of sniffed them out and, and had like a real good kind of spidey sense, you know, like an instinct of, of something that just kind of felt lightweight or, you know, as I got older and more arrogant and snobby, I would hear certain types of pop music and think, Oh, you know, that's, there's nothing to it. It sounds like a commercial for something, you know, as opposed to a really deep and intense spiritual expression. So, so yeah, hearing the jazz at a young age was great for me. Um, but you know, as I got older, I started liking, you know, punk rock, which was the most remedial, simple music in the world. And, and I, and then I started seeing that like, it wasn't just the content of the music, whether it's hip hop or funk or jazz or African music or all these musics that I love, it's it's not about a specific style or even someone's you know virtuosity or, or technique. Even though I respect those things, the most important thing for me with music is the motivation behind it. You know, is it soulful? Is it is it coming from a place of absolute belief and commitment in in the art and expression of a human being with whatever vehicle they have available to them to express themselves? Yeah, and along those lines of just the way music shaped you as you were, you know, growing up and, you know, in your formative years, have you ever thought about how your life in music could have been different if you just gone to a different high school than Fairfax? Because like you met Anthony there, you totally. met Will there, Jack Irons, and it's like, it's at a very specific time in your life that like really mattered. Yeah, I, all of those things. I mean, that what's that movie, like Sliding Doors or Glass Doors yeah. or whatever it is? I mean, yeah, it was like alternate realities. I mean, the big one that I think of is if my parents hadn't split up and I would have gone back because we were supposed to be in New York for four years with my father because he was there working at the Australian consulate, then go back to New York. I mean, back to Australia. 
but my mom splits up, marries this other wild guy, and we move to L.A. for his music career, which never takes off. And I go to Fairfax High. And, and because I am like kind of a wild street kid, when I meet my friends, when I meet Anthony, and when I meet Hillel, and when I meet my friends that I end up starting the Chili Peppers with, um, it's not, it, it, it's like one, that I meet them, but two, it's kind of like when you're a street kid, and you're running around and, and don't get it wrong. Like I say, street kid loosely, I, I had a home. I had, you know, people who loved me and a house to live in, but I ran around on the street all day and all night unchecked. That's, that's my point. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, my friends were like really like family. And they were the ones that I looked to for comfort, for understanding, for, you know, that real sense of family in the community. And, and so we were, and then my friends were like that too. Like they were kind of similar. They were running around all wild. And, and so when we found each other and we were able to really talk to each other and connect about music and art and the things that we loved, um, it was, you know, a very powerful bonding thing. It was a real sense of family. And so when we started our band, it just had this, you know, this kind of like this connection between us that you can't manufacture, you know, you can't like just take, I mean, you obviously you can, but you know, you put a bunch of good musicians together it doesn't mean that they're going to really connect in a way um, where the, the, where the group expression is going to be something that is a real cohesive, one of a kind thing, you know? Uh, and, and, you know, our band, it's like, you know, whether you like chili peppers or not, people, some people like it, some people don't like, I get it. I, I don't take either, either one personally, you know, but, but the one thing that I can say for sure, you know, like is that, we we are one of a kind thing and that it is born of a love that came from us being wild kids that met each other and needed each other and appreciated our friendship um in a very profound way the other part of that flea that we've actually asked a lot of of basketball players who have who have grown up and played you know in in la went to high school here you know played you know street ball here and all that stuff what the what being in la meant in terms of shaping their games and stuff like that as a musician what was the influence of this city in your in your development your evolution um it was massive being in la i mean for the way that we are i think you know kind of like any big city we were exposed to you're able to be exposed to everything you know and we all had different things that music and stuff that we heard growing up and came from different places um, in terms of the things that we loved. Like I was a jazz guy, you know, Anthony's dad was a Hollywood, you know, rock guy in the seventies, all wild. And he heard all this stuff. Um, You know, my other friends are more into classic rock, but, but um, just, I don't, you know, in, in, in intangible ways that are difficult for me to express, like you're running around the street in LA and there's like, you know, you're hanging out in the park and there's all, you know, the Mexican kids, the Chicanos or all of the Vatos listening to, to oldies in the park, like that whole influence and being able to out and go to jazz clubs. And then all, there's this whole massive at the time, this underground nightclub situation where people were playing everything. You could go out and see any music, any night, anytime, electronic music, punk rock, funk, all this stuff. We went all over the city. We were there for the birth of hip hop in this city. You know, we were in South LA going to see, you know, um, um, Egyptian lover. And, and like when Asher Kumbabata came to the town for the, came to town for the first time, 
you know, in like 1980, 79, you know, when this stuff was just starting, we would see the local rappers and then all the punk rockers that we saw. And, and um, you know, and then we'd sneak in, you know, to the big concerts at the Forum, you know, the, the Who, Who's, Queen, all those kind of big bands. And, and you know, and then we'd be at the jazz clubs, you know, at, at the Parisian Room on, on Crenshaw. Um, just, there was just everything. And our thirst was, was massive. It was satisfied by all this stuff. And, you know, L.A. is just a great music town, with, and it's really spread out, you know. And so you go over to, to all these different parts of town, all this different stuff, all different flavors of human beings. Um, L.A. is amazing, man. Did you, you know, it is a filthy place to live. <laughs> did, did you sneak into the forum more for concerts or Laker games? <laughs> you know, I, don't, I never snuck into a Laker game. Really? I never did. And I, I only went to a – I never – yeah, I didn't know how. And I only ever went to a handful of games um, before I could afford to buy seats. So like pretty much all from my childhood, even though I watched them, you know, they weren't even on TV that much when I was a kid. Um, But my mom took me, I went, uh, you know, just, I think the year after they got Kareem, um, she like where my mom worked, she was the secretary and her boss gave her tickets once. And I saw Kareem like just after he came to the Lakers with that team. And um, I, I, you know, went to a few games, but it really wasn't until like the early nineties um, when the Chili Peppers signed with Warner Brothers and Mo Austin, who's a great, great man, um, who ran Warner Brothers records for I don't I, I don't know how many years, like thirty years or something, um, had courtside seats, center court, courtside, not on the bench side, on the other side, and and when he realized that we loved the Lakers, he just started giving us those tickets. Um, and, you know, before that we would go, but that was the first time, like the first time we really made money and all of a sudden we were being given best seats in the house. <laughs> and, yeah. And it was just like, I mean, man, it was heavenly, you know, it was heavenly, um, you know, and yeah, but before that I went a lot, I guess like come late eighties, I went a lot, um, and bought tickets, you know, I, I, when the Lakers repeated 87, 88, um, right in around there. Like those games, I went a lot then. I would buy tickets and go. Um, but it wasn't really until the 90s when I started having enough money. And then shortly after that, I've, you know, I've had season tickets now for 20 years. Um, but I started going a lot. And, you know, and all that stuff that I'm talking about, I keep thinking, because, you know, essentially this is a sports podcast, um, about the, you know, I'm talking about music and art and all that stuff. Like all of that applied to basketball for me. You know, because growing up as a kid, I played basketball every day. If I wasn't playing music and I wasn't out partying, I was at the park playing basketball. I played at West Hollywood Park. I played all the parks around Hollywood, just played street ball every day. That's all I did. I played ball, smoked weed, hung out with my friends and um, it was and, and played music. And it was just such a massive like it was a place for me where in a lot of ways it saved me as much as music basketball. Cause all the times when I could have like, you know, a lot of my friends got strung out on heroin, became crackheads, got into all this crazy stuff. And with all the drugs that I did as a kid, like knowing that I wanted to get up and go to the park and play ball the next day, stopped me from doing a lot of bad stuff, you know, and knowing I wanted my body to always work right and to play basketball and, and like just the pleasure and the connection that I felt to people that I didn't know that I just played pickup games at the park, like that feeling of togetherness with every kind of ethnicity, every kind of person, 
in the street, in the park. Like, it was beautiful. And I always treasured it. Like, I'd show up at the park to play ball. And, you know, I, I felt so, I felt connected. I felt like I'm a part of a community in a city. And it was just like getting together with playing music. And when I see basketball, like, you know, when I go to the, to, to the Laker games or I go to any, you know, I go to the Drew League, I go to high school games, I go to college games. Like, when I go see basketball, I get that feeling like when I was a kid and my stepdad and his friends would play jazz in the living room and I'd watch them play music and I was like, oh my God, how are they doing it? Like this level, this, this level of artistry, this level of commitment that it took to get to this point, the things that human beings are capable of doing, like basketball at its best inspires me as much as music. And I guess, you know, that's why I'm, and then I, you know, you bring in fandom like I am with the Lakers, like growing up in LA and it's kind of like us against them. Like, you know, almost, you know, group cultural city pride thing. It's just, you know, that's why I'm so intense about it. It's fulfilling, you know? Do, do you feel like, because the way you talk about basketball and sound, like you said, the way you talk about music, but also I wonder, is, is there something special about basketball as a sport, you know, as compared to football, as compared to baseball or something like that. There really you like is, those sports too. There really is though, it seems like the, 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 the connection to the qualities of music and the qualities of jazz and, and the qualities of basketball really line up better than they might in, in baseball or something like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, you know, baseball's a very cerebral sport and I confess that this year I've kind of like missed the entire baseball season. I like, you know, suffered with the Dodgers last week and, you know, watch that. But I, I'm, I've never, you know, I go through times when I get connected to baseball or football and I appreciate those sports. But for me, baseball's it's just, it's very cerebral and it like engages one part of me and football. It's, it's just the violence, man, and the injuries and the players like getting carted off the field in stretchers all the time. Like it's hard for me. It's hard for me. And I, and I feel like, you know, they don't take good care of the players and the whole like, you know, political thing with like them being used when Kaepernick took a knee and, you know, this is a peaceful protest. Like I just have so many difficulties with the NFL and with all this stuff, you know, and you know, and of course, you know, the times I love football and I like the Rams, I like watching and that the finesse parts of the game are incredible, but basketball, it has everything. It's cerebral it's physical, it's intense. And, you know, the communication between the players, like when it's really happening, when a team is, you know, really playing well and moving the ball well, like you see, like sometimes those Popovich teams, you know, the way they move the ball or, or, um, you know, that the way that the Lakers move the ball in the magic Johnson era, and even the way, like, you know, the last time the Lakers moved the ball in a way that was really exciting for me was the post Shaq Kobe era, the team with Lamar and, and uh, Trevor Ariza or then run our test and fish and, and those guys, like I thought they moved the ball really. Kobe started growing up and really learning how to um, empower the players around him a lot better, you know, later in his career on those, those last couple of rings. Um, you know, man, it's just beautiful. to see. It's beautiful. And, I, and, I, and, it, and it is very musical. And like the same thing as like the jazz guys, like these guys like on hair trigger thought, like that kind of twitch, quick thinking um, that's instinctual and, you know, born of, you know, practice and understanding of each other and of humanity. Like it's just a, 
it's a beautiful thing and it's very musical to me. And I think it probably is a big reason why I love basketball so much. And then the last question for you, Flea, uh, Acid for the Children yeah. is 400 pages. Yeah. Like, was there anything yeah. left on the cutting room floor for this book? Like, could it have been 700 pages, a thousand? It seems like there's a lot there. Yeah, there's, well, you know, a lot of the pages are kind of short. You have to see the book. You haven't, have you got a copy of the book? No, not yet. Want to a pre-order oh, oh, I got, I push got. you up on the New York Times bestseller list. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, no, there's a lot because I initially wrote all the way through into the Chili Peppers career and stuff, and I took out a lot of stories for a variety of reasons. Um, but I, I, uh, yeah, no, I, I could, it could have been a thousand pages easy. <laughs> I mean, you know, you can write, you can write forever. But, but um, I just try, I wanted to crystallize this one part of my life and really try and get to um, the essence of the things that shaped me leading up to the time when the chili peppers started. Cause I, you know, oftentimes chili pepper fans are that the question that I hear often is like, how do you do it? Like, how is it this thing happened? Like, how do you play, you play the way you play? How did you come up with these ideas? How does this happen? And really the, the, the true answers for me are all happened before the band started and the, the, the integral things that, that, that gave it, gave it the, the real bonds and the place for it to exist. Well, it's, it sounds like it's going to be an awesome book. Again, it's called Acid for the Children. It hits shelves on November 5th. You can also or, uh, order it, arrive in that day. Yes, you can have it delivered to you on November 5th if you play this right. By Flea himself. Yes. He's going to deliver every single copy <laughs> if it's pre-ordered for November 5th. It's very exciting. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and also there, there's an audio book that I, I read the whole thing to. Oh sweet! Oh, this is this is uh, a yeah. this is quite the uh, undertaking, man. This sounds awesome, and again, we really appreciate thank as you. always the time, man. Yeah, no, thank you. Thanks for taking time with me, you guys, and um, I'll see ya. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thank you. All right, that was Flea. He's awesome. He's the best. Awesome. So yeah, that gives you a taste too of like you know. Some basketball in there, some pop culture, some other stuff. You know, we, we, we will always try to find guests who are first and foremost interesting. Yep. And that will be uh, the benchmark that we're, that we're looking for. Uh, so, yeah, episode one of The Magic Hour here on The Athletic uh, is in the books on the, the Forum Club, as, as we mentioned. Every Monday, sprinkling throughout the other weeks, we'll be you know, talking to all these guys who are here. L.A. is the center of the basketball universe, and we are really excited to be a part of it, and we will see everybody next week.